Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor. And I want to give you just a quick note about the sabbatical that's coming up. As we've been talking about this month, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical for three months starting in October 1st, so a week from tomorrow um, through December. And we've got preachers lined up. We've got pastors that are going to officiate communion each week. There's going to be a series on prayer. There's going to be a series on generosity, an Advent series for Christmas. Um, So I'm really excited about that. And while I'm gone, um, when you think about, oh, I should ask Stephen about something, we want to just encourage you to ask. You can ask any of the elders. You can ask any of the staff, life group leaders, people that you're already connected to. Feel free to ask for help with anything. Um, And if you don't know who to ask, or if you have something that's urgent, or or, um, Mike is the single point of contact. And so he's going to be there in my place if you don't know who to talk to. So he'll help connect you with whatever resource or whatever the church can do for you uh, during my sabbatical. He's Mike at harborcity.church, so easy to get a hold of. Um, And he's here on Sunday. You can chase him down and tackle him because he's not that fast. So um, he's not. So next Sunday, we're having a family service, and it's going to be really, it'll be cool. Um, it'll be kind of oriented a little bit toward kids. It'll be a little different, a little shorter with a message that's at the level. It's the kind of, we always say this, it's really funny. Um, it's kind of secret because we say that the message is geared toward kids, but you're going to be like, oh man, I never knew that. Oh dang, that's really helpful. Oh wow, that's probably a really helpful way for me to explain that to somebody else. So sometimes I think after we do these things that I should preach like that all the time, but, um, but that's not as fun for me, so, um, so I don't. <clears throat> but that's next Sunday, so that'll be the last Sunday, and um, I'm excited about that. I don't exactly know what it's going to be like to be off for three months. I'm going to miss y'all as much as people are saying they're going to miss me, and so I believe that, so I hope you'll believe that too. Um, I will not be coming to services, so I'll be going to other churches, visiting, also be traveling, and so there'll be a mix of being in San Diego and and other places, but it's good for me to visit other places, to see what they're doing, to smell it. There's some churches that, you know, just have, that are going to be similar to ours that I want to visit. There's churches that are going to be radically different from ours that I want to visit. I think the idea is to try to get out of as many of the ruts, and ruts aren't always bad, but the good ruts and the bad ruts, to experience the presence and the face of God so that I can come back in with new ideas, with new perspective, with new energy that the Lord teaches me over that time. So I won't be here. So that makes me sad. I don't really know. Gosh, it's been 11 years. I've been coming to this church every week. So gosh, so there it is. But let's turn, let's transition. We're going to look into the Bible today um, because we're in a series and the series is called The Story of Us. What we've been seeing in this series is that the Bible is full of people whose stories are our stories. And these stories are from the Old Testament, and they're cool because the stories teach us about Jesus uh, even before he was born. And when we connect the story to Jesus, it teaches us how God relates to us today. And so in this series, we've seen answers to these questions. Why does God make us wait? Uh, Why does God make us limp? Uh, And then today we're going to answer the question, why doesn't God speak? So we want to hear God. Why doesn't he speak? So we're going to look at today. And so um, some of the verses we're going to look at are in your bulletin. There's a place there to take notes if you want to do that. Um, but today's story is an episode in the story of Elijah. 
So like Netflix has series of episodes in a season. So Elijah's got, I don't know, probably eight or 10 different episodes. This is one of the episodes that's in the middle of Elijah's life. And in this episode that we're going to look at today, Elijah had just experienced the greatest victory a prophet could ever have hoped for. So Elijah went into the spiritual prophet Super Bowl and he won by 50 points. I mean, he just dominated. By himself, he went head-to-head with a group of 450 prophets who were representing another god. Okay, there was this other god. These 450 prophets were against Elijah, and Elijah completely destroyed them. So in this competition, Elijah's God, the true God, he showed up and he did an amazing public miracle in response to Elijah's request against his and God's enemies. And so it would have been like going to the Olympics and winning gold in every event. Okay, that was the nature and the caliber and the scope of Elijah's victory. And Elijah was convinced coming out of this victory that now finally all of God's people would return to God because they've been living this other life. They've been doing these other things. They've been worshiping this other God, but now they'd all come back. And so Elijah was on this radical spiritual high. Have you ever been on a spiritual high? Sometimes the spiritual high only highlights the low that comes after. Um, Sometimes the high only makes the fall farther. That's what happened with Elijah. Because after Elijah's battle of the prophets, the queen of Israel rejected Elijah and then rejected God, and she took a vow to kill Elijah. And so Elijah is completely shaken. And he gets to a place where he thinks, it's over. It's over. No one is left to follow God. And if I stay, I'll be killed. And so Elijah runs. He runs, and he runs, and he runs, and he runs. Next slide. Here's a map of where Elijah ran. He ran from Mount Carmel all the way to Horeb, the Mount of God. It's almost 400 miles over 40 days and 40 nights. And so let's read. We're going to read 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, Verse, we're going to start with verse 8, which is not in your bulletin. Sorry, that's my mistake. But verse 9 is in your bulletin. So we're going to look at these two verses. So let's read these together as we start into this episode of Elijah's life. It says, And Elijah arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. So first, what's Horeb? the Mount of God. Well, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And so if you're familiar with the Bible, some of you are, Mount Sinai has, pretty, it has, a, has significance to it, right? Horeb and Mount and Sinai are, the, are two names of the same place. It's a mountain, and Sinai was the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, where God established a covenant with the nation of Israel. Israel became a nation at the foot of Mount Sinai through Moses. And so Elijah 
was convinced, because he was convinced that there was no one left, that everyone had abandoned God, that he was by himself and alone, that now God needed to start over with him. God needed to make a new covenant. So, any Princess Bride fans out there? Okay, yes, all right. So, this is like an ego Montoya in the Princess Bride after the man in black defeated him. You know, where does he show up again? Right, he loses the big sword duel. The man in black goes on, fights the giant, fights Vecini in the fire swamp, gets captured, right? When does, when, when does an ego show up again? He's back in the pub, right? And he is so slobberingly drunk, he couldn't buy brandy, right? And he's incoherent. But do you remember what he said? They're trying to get him out because they're clearing the thieves' forest, right? Because, the, you know, the wedding is coming and all this stuff. He, and, and, and so they, they go to try to get him, and he's just, like, babbling incoherent. But you can kind of hear it, so it's not exactly incoherent. But he says, when a job went wrong, you went back to the beginning. And this is where we got the job, so it's the beginning. I am waiting for Vicini, right? So this is what Elijah's doing. Everything has fallen apart. Everything has come undone. And so Elijah goes back to Mount Sinai because that's where the beginning was. That's where it started. That's where God's covenant with Israel started. So he was going there so that God could start over. Have you ever experienced failure and wanted to start over? If so, then this is the story of us, of you and of me. Um, and in fact, sometimes it's after our greatest victories that we experience our biggest failures. So when Elijah arrives, God meets him. The rest of verse 9, it says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he, God, said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's not good. It's kind of like God is saying, um, you're not supposed to be here. Like, what are you doing? And I think, again, this is the story of us because aren't there times when we pray to God? God, judge this person who hurt me. God, I can't believe, can you believe, God, what this person did to me? And God's response to us sometimes is, what are you doing? Are you going to completely ignore your contribution to the problem that you're complaining about? Like, I'm here, I want to help, but are you going to ignore the fact that you're part of this? I feel like this is where we hear in a different sense, you know, the words of Jesus where he says, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. So sometimes we hear God say, what are you doing here? But then Elijah replies in verse 10. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah's like, God, don't you see what's going on? I've been faithful. I've been doing all the right things. I've been here and now they're all gone. 
I'm the only one left, and if they kill me, then all of your people have been wiped off the face of the earth, which means your promises, God, can't come true. So, Elijah's a mess, but he's an understandable mess, isn't he? I kind of love that phrase, an understandable mess, Um, because it's like, God, have you ever felt this way? I've served you in everything and everything has gone wrong. We think, God, I'll never find someone else. God, if I have to stay at this job, I'll never be happy. I mean, even the best of God's people have felt this. Even a prophet. So knowing God, walking with God, being in the presence of God, speaking on behalf of God, and you can get to this place where your life is an understandable mess. And what I like about this is I feel like it gives us permission to be this honest about where we really are. Um, In a church that is friendly like ours, the friendliness sometimes can come across to people like everything is going great. You know? And it's, it's not that you want to be fake, but it's like, if someone says, how are you doing? I mean, what are you going to say, right? There's a room full of people. There's a cafe. Everybody, you, got, you got a, you know, you've got a muffin in your hand. Like, how can life be really that? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, but, um, but sometimes we sort of give off that vibe, right? And what I love about this, what I love about Elijah's honesty is that it creates space for us to be honest about how bad things can really be. It gives space for us to be honest um, and not feel like we have to act like things are better than they are. Um, If you're losing it because life is falling apart, it's okay to lose it. Sometimes we feel like we're losing it because we've lost everything. Sometimes we feel depressed because life is depressing and the circumstances of life have gotten the better of us. It's okay. It's okay if that's how you feel. God is big enough to hear it. God wants to hear it. And God is looking to create a family where when you feel that way, you can feel like you're understood. I got an email this week from someone who said this, um, when I'm down, it's the people who understand how spiritually, mentally, and emotionally low I am who are the most help to me. The ones that keep pushing and pushing me to be somewhere I'm not don't help. When I express hopelessness, It's the friends who say, it makes perfect sense that you would feel that way knowing where you are right now, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. They are the most helpful. So sometimes we want to push people to get better. Um, Some of us are wired to want to fix things. Some of us feel a lot of angst when the people that we know and love and care about aren't fixed, <laughs> you know, and we can add to the 
pain and the anguish and the frustration that they're experiencing because we're like in a hurry to get them to like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's talk about things. And then, and so that's true about human beings all over the place. But then when you, when you talk about Christians, there's sometimes that we kind of do a double disservice here because we think, well, wait, God's in control, so you should be okay, right? God loves you, and that should make everything fine. And there's Bible verses that I should be able to quote to you, and then all of a sudden this wave of joy should sweep over you, and we should have joy and peace in every circumstance, because isn't that what the Bible says? Well, it, yeah, it does say that. Um, but the Bible also says that, um, that we're supposed to mourn with those who are mourning. Um, some of the best examples of this um, were Job's three friends before they said anything. Um, when Job's life fell apart, his three friends showed up and Job was sitting literally in the ashes. He was covered with sores and it says he was using like a piece of pottery to like scrape the sores on his body to try to get the itching to go away. And they just showed up and they sat with him and they kept their mouths shut for seven days. They entered into his misery and didn't try to fix it. It all went to hell when they started talking. (laughs) So... So sometimes we want to push people to get better, but it's often best to start helping people by letting them know that their struggle is understandable and that it's okay to feel like life has fallen apart. So God's response to Elijah is not what we expect, but it is what we need. Um, Verse 11, God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. So this is, again, this Mount Sinai, go stand out. So Elijah is like, hey, go out there, just like Moses did. I was going to try to do the math. I guess like four or 500 years ago is the time. I think Moses was around 1250 to 1350 BC. And I think Elijah was king's. A 950? Chad's like, shut up. Just keep moving on. Stop. Okay, sorry. Um, Thank you. Um, So go out, stand before the Lord. So there he is. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. So if you're Elijah, wind, earthquake, fire, hit, and you think, yes, yes, this is Mount Sinai. This is Moses. This is exactly how God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. Let me show you in Exodus 19, verses 16 and 18, it said, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. 
So Elijah's experience is the same as Moses's. God's going to start over. Because in, the, in, in Exodus, the next thing that happened was that God spoke the words of a new covenant. But let's look again at verses 11 and 12 of 1 Kings 19. It says, The Lord was not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire. Instead of speaking, verse 12 says, After the fire was the sound of a low whisper. Huh. So, I need to step out here for a second. There is a huge thing in the Christian church. There is teaching and there is an understanding of a particular kind of Christian practice. Uh, there's music that is around this. It's this idea of um, of, of this low whisper. Um, in the King James Version of the Bible, in 1611, when it was translated into English, um, this phrase was translated, anybody know? A still, small voice. And from that time, all kinds of other translations of the Bible have used that same phrase, the still small voice. And so if you look up, I looked up like 30 or 40 different translations of this phrase this week um, just to see where it all went. And so there's this thing in Christianity and it's from this passage that says, do you see this? You see what happened here? There was this crazy cataclysm of earthquake and fire and wind and you know, thunder and all this stuff and God wasn't in any of that, but instead the way that God communicated to Elijah with his still, small voice. And so, if you're looking for God, he doesn't show up in the big, grandiose things in life. Instead, get away by yourself and listen for God's voice. And he'll speak to you. Because this passage says God's not in the big things, but he's in the still, small voice. Y'all familiar with this? This phrase in Hebrew doesn't mean a still small voice. This phrase in Hebrew doesn't mean a low whisper. This phrase, low whisper, in Hebrew actually means Silence. It means silence. This word whisper that's translated whisper, it's used three times in the Bible, and the other two places it means silence. It's Job chapter 4, verse 16, and Psalm 107, verse 29. You can look these verses up if this is the kind of thing you like to chase down. And so, aside from all the different English translations... The, the translation that you really need to go with is the S-A-G translation. That's the Simon and Garfunkel translation. <laughs> that what's happening here, what Elijah actually hears, is the sound of silence. Now, let me just say again, really quickly, that 
I am not trying to discount the Christian practice of listening to God. I'm not trying to discount the reality that if you get quiet before the presence of God, that there are times when God will speak to you. Um, sometimes God will speak to you with images or with ideas or words or passages from the Bible or stories from the Bible. There are sometimes God will bring things to mind and it can feel like a conversation where you can ask God a question and then just wait. And sometimes a verse will occur to you and you'll feel like, wow, that feels like God is responding to me and speaking that verse as the answer to my question. I have had this experience. I've been with other people who've had this experience. It's wonderful. It doesn't happen all the time. And it also doesn't happen for every person. Okay? That practice is sometimes an indication of your personality type more than an indication of your spiritual maturity. There are certain people that are idea-driven. There are certain people that are, I mean, I don't exactly know the best way to describe them, but there are some people for whom that works and other people that when they get silent, all they hear is silence. And if they want to hear a word from God, they read the Bible, okay? And so I'm not discounting any of that experience I'm just saying this passage isn't teaching us that practice. You with me? So if you do this and love this, I do it and love it too. Just saying this verse is not where you go to try to give support for that. So, because what Elijah hears is the sound of silence. Now, what does it mean here? Like why? You know, why does it mean or what does it mean that God is silent? Well, what this means is, because remember what Elijah wanted. Elijah was expecting Stand on Mount Sinai, receive new covenant from God. And so the silence, the fact that God wasn't in the, the wind or the earthquake or the fire, and that there was silence, it means that there is no new covenant for Elijah. Okay? What this means is that God isn't starting over with Elijah. He's not abandoning the covenant through Moses to start a new one with Elijah. Now, how do we know this? How do we know this is the right understanding of the passage? It's because after this episode, God and Elijah do have a powwow. <laughs> they talk. God speaks to them. And God speaks not with a gentle whisper, not with a low whisper, but God speaks clearly and directly about coming judgment. Okay? God gives Elijah specific instructions about what to do next in verses 15 to 18. Look at there. It says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Um, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. So God is saying, Elijah, go back to Israel. Go back and anoint kings who will judge the people who are at war with God. And then anoint a new prophet who will take place, who will take your place after your ministry is over. So again, what does this mean? This means that there's no new covenant. The Mosaic covenant itself promised judgment would come to the enemies of God. And so God is telling Elijah, go back and announce the judgment of the Mosaic covenant. 
So this isn't a still small voice. This is not a gentle whisper. This is God pronouncing judgment. But it's not all bad news. Okay, verse 18 goes on. God says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God is saying, look, Elijah, I know you're worried that, that, that my people will be wiped off the face of the earth. Don't. I have 7,000 people that are still faithful to me. There is, it's called the remnant. There's a remnant. It looks bad. It looks like you're radically outnumbered, but don't worry, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to this other God. Um, and so God is saying, I will preserve my people. I will bless them and keep the folks who still honor me. And so again, what God is saying here to Elijah is, he's saying, look, Elijah, I don't have a new revelation for you. Instead, go back to what I've already said. And that's the crux. That's the crux of this episode of Elijah's life. I don't have a new revelation for you. Instead, go back to what I've already said. Because God says the same thing to us today. He says the same thing to us today. He says, I don't have new revelation for you. Instead, go back to what I've already said. And God has spoken to us through Jesus. This is Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. Look at this. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Friends, Jesus is the new revelation from God. Jesus is the final revelation from God. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. He walked the earth and he taught. He gave us the final and heavenly revelation of the words of God. And what's exciting, um, and this is where we hit the gospel, is that even with God, actions speak louder than words. Jesus revealed God, not just by speaking. He wasn't just a great teacher, but he lived and he died and he rose again to reveal to us God, to speak to us a new covenant. Think about this. Elijah endured silence and had to go back to what God already said. But for Jesus, Jesus endured God's silence on the cross. That when he cried out, there was no help for him. And the silence of God for Jesus led to his death. And he died so that you would know that God's word is for you. Think about Elijah on the mountain. 
Elijah stood in the midst of the wind and the earthquake and the fire. But for Jesus on the cross, that wind hit him. That earthquake shook him. The fire burned him up and killed him on the cross. so that we would be able to hear his voice. The thing that stands between us and hearing God speak to us through Jesus is our sin. But God himself took our sin on the cross so that you would know that your sins can be forgiven. So that you would know that God was silent to Jesus in his suffering so that you would never have to feel like God has been silent with you. God has now spoken through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, so that no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter if you are high or you are low, God loves you. God died and rose again so that you would be forgiven, so that you'd be accepted so that you would be able to hear him speak to you through the Bible. This is the gospel. This is God's good news for us. So this is reality. So what do we do with this? Let me just, I've already kind of said these things. Let me just highlight them as something that you can do this week by way of application. First, Take in the Bible. Devote yourself to this book. So whether you read it or listen to it or sing it or hear people talk about it, uh, hear people explain it, hear people write music about it or apply it, like whatever works for you, get this revelation of God. Get this message of Jesus into you. Get it into your mind. Get it into your heart. Let it move you. Um, Understand it. Get this God, you'll get God's revelation into you in whatever way makes sense, whatever way works for you. Second, um, pray so that your understanding of the Bible can become communion. Because the point isn't just to stuff our heads full of Bible verses, but it's to commune with the God who inspired these verses. When you read about something that teaches you about who God is, Commune with him, pray to him, talk to him as though he's the God who is, who has revealed himself in this way. In this case, in Elijah's story, we see that God cares, even when our life falls apart, that he's there for us. Pray this week to the God who cares for you. Know that he cares for you. We emphasize um, city Bible reading here at our church because it's a way to turn your Bible reading into communion. So through this ACTS, Acts uh, acrostic, it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. As you take in the Bible, then pray, adore God, tell him how amazing he is, confess how amazing you're not, Um, thank Jesus for how amazing his salvation is, And then supplicate the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to make you amazing by His power and through His grace. When you do that, your Bible intake becomes communion with God and your relationship with Him deepens. And then the last thing is um, talk about it with others. Talk about the Bible with others. 
Um, I mean, this is why we have life groups. Groups of people where you come together to seek understanding. Um, if you are anything like me, um, I oftentimes get more out of talking to other people about the Bible than I do reading it on my own. If that's true for you, guess what? You should talk about the Bible with other people more than you read it on your own. <laughs> um, but seek understanding and application together. Because what's exciting is that when you read something in the Bible and can connect to God that is like revealed in the Bible, and then that begins to affect something you do in your life, then that thing that you do becomes a point of communion. And again, your relationship with God deepens. And so I'm encouraging you today to apply this passage by taking in the Bible this week, praying and communing with God, and then talking to other people. If you do that this week, God will show up. Jesus will be with you. And so walk in that this week. And for those of you who are here and aren't Christians yet, I just want to encourage you. Man, this book, it reveals a personal God who loves you enough to reach out, who loves you enough to work hard to unstop your ears by sacrificing himself for you so that you could know him. Reach out to him in prayer today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for meeting Elijah in this place of despair and anguish. Thank you for meeting him and encouraging him to go back to what you've already revealed. God, we want to take that on today. We're so grateful that you've revealed so much more to us in Jesus. We see so much more of who you are in the person and the work of what Jesus, of who Jesus is and what he's done. And I pray that each of us would be able to commune with you this week. Meet us as we read your word, as we listen to it. Meet us as we pray back to you and commune with you. And help us, God, to talk with others and experience that spiritual dynamic when you show up in the midst of community. God, we're reaching out to you and we pray that you'd reveal yourself to us. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. We're gonna receive our offering next. So if you're gonna be giving, please take the next minute to prepare your gifts.